The most important thing for me that I found out about my channel is to really be you. Now, the reason why I say that is because that is the easiest thing to maintain. everybody welcome to episode 45 of the balance room music podcast i am your host musician and producer ingrid wood w-o-o-d-e this podcast is available on itunes stitcher soundcloud google play and now also spreaker for you to subscribe to that way you don't have to wonder when is a new episode coming out you just get one notification letting you know there's something new to listen to so make sure you hit that subscribe button whichever is your favorite app to my new and returning Balance Room listeners, welcome. I always appreciate you all for hitting play. This is a podcast not just for music lovers and uh, musicians. It's a podcast for creative people who already are who, or who may have a desire to make a living from their creative side. So I share parts of my journey and I also have conversations with other entrepreneurs and other creative people who have businesses. And I share those conversations with you all via the podcast inside of the Balance Room. For this episode, I'm bringing a new guest inside the balance room, a DJ who has a pretty well-established YouTube channel called DJ TLM TV with over 100,000 subscribers. So I want to let him introduce himself. I go by the name of DJ TLM, the last Mohican. That's what TLM stands for. And that comes from my government name, Uncas. My parents found that name when they saw the movie Last of the Mohicans. And Uncas was one of the Mohicans. And that's why I got my DJ name from The Last Mohican. But just to keep it short, it's DJ TLM. Uh, born and raised in Amsterdam. That's where I'm from. My mom is Dutch. My dad is from the Dutch Caribbean. And I've been living here all my life. And I'm, um, I'm a club DJ. I do used to do radio. I'm a mixtape DJ. I'm also a live, a tour DJ. I've been performing with an artist named Brainpower, based out of Amsterdam for the last 18 years, did over 3,000 live shows, and I also produce. I make some music mostly for my educational stuff on DJ TLM TV, that's my DJ educational channel on YouTube, and music is basically what I do. I'm a daddy, I have two sons, we, uh, we live in Amsterdam with my fam. And it's all about music. So either on the educational side or just banging on turntables in clubs all over the place. That sums it up. I came across DJ Tillum about two years ago. I was hired uh, to perform for a private party. And the person who hired me, she initially, she, well, she was telling me how she initially wanted to have a band and a DJ. But she didn't have a budget for both, so she just chose the band. So I started thinking, I was like, okay, if I DJed a little bit at this party, then the band wouldn't have to perform as long, and the band could take like a break in the middle or something like that. So I told I was like, okay, if you're willing to add a little bit more money to the contract, we can DJ and perform. And she was like, bet, let's do that. And now I know what you're thinking. You're probably like, Ingrid, are you even a DJ? And to that question... I, I say technically no, but, <laughs> but but it has been a valid hobby of mine since I was a kid. One of my favorite movies from childhood is Juice. Yo, you got the juice now, man. 
And I don't know how you could watch that movie and not at least fantasize a little bit about being a DJ. But I mean, for years, <laughs> for years growing up, I'd make mixtapes with like two tape decks. I'd practice scratching on my sister's Fisher Price record player. And when I got old enough to start working and, and saving up money, I bought like a DJ setup for like a used DJ setup for about a thousand dollars just to play around with it. You know, no intentions of trying to be a DJ. It was just fun to do in private. But I ended up using a lot of that equipment to add to my production um, because you some of that equipment has like analog filters and pitch shifts, tempo changing knobs, faders, that sort of stuff. So I ended up using it to help produce anyway. So fast forward to 2015, I had about I had like six weeks to learn Serato and some different concepts for actually DJing for real people. <laughs> so, you know, DJ Tillin was the first channel that popped up in my search and I was hooked. Hey there, welcome to my channel, DJ TLM TV. I'm DJ TLM. I'm a hip hop and R&B DJ. His channel talks about everything from like the technical aspect of DJing to business to even his vlogs where he shows you his workouts, dropping off the kids at school to behind the scenes footage of his gigs and performances. But I'm ready for you to hear this episode. We talk about a lot of different things. We talk about his first <laughs> his first set of gigs, um, why he started his YouTube channel, and some advice for those of us who are interested in starting or growing a YouTube channel to showcase our brand and or you know what what we do. So without further ado, let's go ahead and step into the balance room. My 7up story is actually in reaction to a question that I've received a lot from beginning DJs and a lot of them want to know what they should be charging for their gigs when they're just starting out. So they're brand new to the game. They may have had a little practice at home, but they want to start doing clubs already. And they're thinking about the big bucks immediately. And for me, one of the most important things that I did as a beginning DJ is uh, I used to play at a local uh, youth center every month. And I got like uh, 20 guilders back in the days. We didn't even have the euro. So that was the equivalent of, I don't know, maybe $10, $10 something like that. Okay. To play for a couple of hours, I would play hip-hop, another DJ would play R&B, and one DJ would play dancehall. And with that money, uh, I would save up and go to the record store to buy some new vinyl. That was my first type of gig. But shortly after that, I got the opportunity to DJ at a local... It's something in between a bar and a club. It's for students for college students, and I got the opportunity to come play there every Tuesday. They have a jam session that night with a band, and I was the DJ in between the live acts. And I played there for a little over a year for free. Now, the reason why I bring this up is I learned some of the most important lessons about DJing in front of a crowd by playing there on a weekly basis because I had my limited hip hop crates and I had to perform and entertain a crowd. It was a mixed crowd. Uh, now mind you, the, the, the live jam sessions were all soul and funk based. So the audience had a little love for hip hop, but they're not especially hip hop heads. So I had to go into my hip hop and R&B crates and keep those people entertained on the dance floor for the amount of time that I was playing. And learning how to play in front of people 
is one of the most uh, valuable experiences you can have. So even though I was playing for free, that gave me all the experience I needed to do the club gigs that came after that. So in the beginning, it is more important to gather that experience and learn instead of just thinking about money. So for me, that's still one of the most valuable things I can bring to beginning DJs. Now, if you've been playing for a longer time, it's definitely time to make sure that you get what you're uh, worth because you do have a certain value. But when you're starting out, money should be the last thing on your mind. It's all about gaining that experience. That's what I definitely learned and I feel it's important to pass on because I did that and it worked for me. It really helped me out. If I decided that on day one to say, I'm not going to take that gig because you don't have money, I would have been a lot less experienced when I maybe would have gotten my first paid gig. So I'm so happy I did that because it made me a lot better. You do have people that get into not just this game. And when I say game, I'm talking about the DJ game, but music in general course you're going to have people that get into this with just financial gain on their mind and if that's your way to do it i mean that's how you do it i guess but for me i feel it's so much more important if it's coming from a place of just passion for that thing i started the dj because i really loved to play music, manipulate the music, uh, mix up records, find new combinations. That gave me my joy. Then when I found out what happens when you play in front of people and you entertain people and you get that crowd reaction, that feeling was even better. So even at that point, I never even thought about, oh, wow, this is what I want to get paid for. No, I was just happy that I could play in front of people and share that vibe with people. And I'm sure, I know for a fact that it's that passion that has kept me in the game for 25 years because I've definitely experienced ups and downs. And I've seen DJs around me who had their little up. And then when that first down comes, they just quit because they never started with that passion. Uh, so I feel that's very important. That's definitely the reason why I accepted that gig. And I see it as an apprenticeship too. I mean, I did it for free, but it's in sort of ways it's an apprenticeship where you learn, and once again, that experience is so valuable. That what's that's what's going to make you more valuable DJ in the long run. I was part of a song by Brain Power called Dance Plot. If you translate that, it would be the dance record, dance song. And I was already doing shows with Brain Power for a couple of years, and we were doing some real hip hop, hip hop type of shows. But I also met a DJ named Mani. At the time, he was named Maniac, Maniac. And he was playing the same type of styles I was playing. But when it came to his production, he was actually doing stuff that was real different from the stuff that Brain Power was doing. And most people will probably never see those two making uh, tracks together because their sound was so different. But I was working with both of them and I was like, I was telling Brain like, yo man, 
Monty has some real dope stuff. I think, I think you guys should collab and let him produce a track. And I think I told Monty the same, like, yo, man, you should give Brain some of the beats. And he was like, huh, you sure? Brain does totally different stuff. And it ended up happening, and he sent a couple of beats. And they connected. He chose a couple of those beats. And one of the tracks they did was a track called Dunsplot, which became probably one of the biggest, especially if you look at like hip-hop in the Netherlands. That became one of the biggest hits ever. So that was on number one on the charts here and in Belgium and here for like six weeks. Uh, certified gold, the single sold like 70,000, which was a lot in this small country. I mean, we only have like, uh, now we have like uh, uh, 16, 17 million. At that time, we had like 15 million people. And a lot of those people don't listen or like hip hop. So that was a major, major smash. And that came together from connecting to people that would not musically have connected on their own so that's a pretty cool thing and i did scratches on that song and those scratches were a prominent part of the song so the song had an actual breakdown so it was not like a couple of scratches in the hook it was like a classic breakdown after the second hook we went into the scratch part and you hear tlm and i started to do a transform scratch for like I think it's like eight or 12 bars and most people in the netherlands probably never even experienced scratching and that became like an like a national thing that everyone knew that scratch part as well so it was pretty cool to be able to uh, also represent like turntablism and djing on that scale and of course in the beginning we didn't know it would be a hit like that but it became a hit like that and i commend brain power for like putting up the idea like hey Put a dope scratch break in here but so you just just to let people know man you never know you can't just judge books by their cover and i know that sounds corny but it is true <laughs> and it's more true now than ever people are also are also focused on differences not realizing that a lot of times you have so much in common with people if you just take the time to look a little bit further than the outside and those guys connected and made a lot more records together, including some more top 10 hits as well. So that song will always have a special place, even though sometimes you might go crazy because that's his biggest hit record. So, you know, on every one of those 3000 plus shows, that song is being performed so I can eat, dream, see that song, hear that song. It's, it's always present, but I'm glad that happened, though. Uh, that was the hit in like 2002 so that's 15 years already that's a totally different time in the whole music industry compared to now so i'm glad i got to see both sides of that instead of just being in this digital age we are now it just has to be my phone it's as simple as that i mean that is probably the most important device that there is right now. And I'm not even talking about for me, it just is the most important device for most people. It became the center piece of your, uh, of your life. That's just, you can see that anywhere. If I'm on the subway, everyone from the 15 year old kid to the 85 year old grandpa is on their phone whenever they're standing or sitting still. So, that's the same for me. And I mean, the phones 
it made me more productive as well because I have so much stuff that I can do work-related on my phone now, whereas before I would have to wait until I got home again, and especially if you're combining it with family life and I have to bring a kid to school, come back. During that travel now, I'm on the phone in my creator app for YouTube answering comments, and I'm checking out my email, and I'm making sketches for new beats using iMachine that I can then uh, transport to the computer to finish those projects in machine and on and on and on. And of course it is still a communication device. So communicating with people in all sorts of ways and making notes, uh, everything, sharing files, everything. So that is definitely the thing that's always with me. Okay, we're about to get into the Ask EC segment. If you have a business, music question, or anything in between, you can email those questions to eric at thebalanceroom.com, E-R-I-C at thebalanceroom.com. And of course, you can always ask those questions on any of the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us, uh, just look up The Balance Room Music Podcast and we should pop up. And if you want uh, to remain anonymous, no worries, just let us know. What's up, it's your dude E-Seats, hanging out with my sister in music, Ingrid Wood. What's good? Here are the questions that I have been asked. Quote, my band has been telling me that they're a little tired of playing the same songs. Do you ever get tired of playing the same songs if you're in an artist band for years? Unquote. Ah, wow. I, I can relate. But at the same time, uh, this question applies to any and every area of professionalism, whether we're not, we're a dentist, a doctor, a nurse, a fireman, a policeman, we're musicians. Uh, it is our job and our duty to take pride in what it is that we aim at to do in this life. And so me as a musician, to say that I get tired of playing a song um, is like me being a dentist and saying I'm, I'm tired of cleaning teeth or an orthodontist putting on braces so the answer is no absolutely not um, and we need to be careful as musicians because we come a dime a dozen we need not to take for granted the opportunities and the chances especially if it's a longevity situation um, I've been with most of the artists I've played with 10 years plus um, and one thing that our audience wants and needs from us is to relive the moment when that song came out so that means to be that means that that song needs to be played the same way a lot of times um, and they don't want to hear your version of it because they want to hear the version that they fell in love with their boyfriend or girlfriend with so play that the same way every single show and there's not one artist that I've worked with they don't want to not do their hit songs or the most popular songs they're usually have a favorite song that's a side B song and, and it's not even a single from their record but they have no choice but to play that same song every show so when they get tired of singing it we'll know and we'll be able to feel it and uh, and that's not cool so me as a musician how dare me 
get into a, a situation where I'm bored or tired. Uh, I don't think that way. I'm cut from that cloth, but this is just my reply. Um, somebody else might feel different, but no, I, to answer the question, no, I never get tired because I understand emotions. I understand time periods. I understand um, reliving these things. So, because I know when I go see a show and, and, and a band changes the song up from what I've known it to be all those years, it, it, especially when you have to try to figure out what song it is, that's not a cool thing at all. So my answer is no, not at all. I would never get tired of that. Um, and, and you have to make it up in your mind that, you know what, it doesn't matter what I think. This is what my job detail entails. You know, uh, I'm here to do a job. So if you don't want to do that job, then don't play. Then, you know, get off the stage and let somebody who is eager and understands like, hey, I'm, I'm here to fulfill this position. Let them get that spot and you get lost. <laughs> I don't mean to sound so harsh, but it is what it is. But it is what it is. There's a major difference in between practicing at home and practicing or playing in front of people. But of course, your first gigs in front of people. Even though you are there to perform, it is also your first real practice at playing in front of people, but people underestimate the difference. You can practice all you want at home. And that could be, uh, that counts for DJs, but also you could be a singer performer and practice at home and play everything perfect. But once you get out of that comfort zone of your own living room, bedroom, and you get into that venue, you get on a stage, you have actual people there that are looking at you, judging you. Uh, it's a different story. So all of a sudden you feel nerves that you never felt before. So the first couple of gigs, I definitely had some nerves. You tend to overthink. All of a sudden, uh, a transition between two tracks that would be something I could do in my sleep. All of a sudden I was struggling because you felt those extra nerves. So it's a little hump you have to overcome. And I've definitely had that my first couple of gigs. You make little mistakes that you would normally not make at home anymore because, like I said, you might be overthinking stuff or just be real nervous. Uh, but that that was only for the first couple of gigs, really. And then later on, when I got bigger gigs, I did have like flashbacks to that feeling again because now it's not like a small venue. Now you're playing at a festival and you have like seven or 10,000 people in front of you. Then you feel those nerves again because it's a new experience. But yeah, I'm, I, I definitely made some mistakes that I wouldn't have made at home. But that happens when you do your first gigs in front of people. So I remember doing some stuff that... Um, would not happen at home like making a transition and it took me so long to get the two records in sync that that first record that was playing got to the end so all of a sudden you have that silence it's like oh that's that's the most deadly silence you don't want that as a dj so i've had that happen uh, and i was playing with turntables so one time i got a little bit too excited in the beginning and i started a new record and i wanted to go to the next song so i lifted up the needle but instead of taking the needle of the record that was finished, I took the needle of the record that was just playing. So again, you have that deadly silence and everyone's looking at the DJ. So they're all looking at you like, what are you doing? But those things help and those things need to happen though because you learn from that as well. It teaches you that you, the show must go on. So you put that needle back on the record and 
continue on. And people will forget that in a second as well if you just continue to play. But that first time you're in shock, you look like a deer that's staring into some headlights like, uh, uh. <laughs> but I love that experience. I mean, I have to say the journey is underestimated too. I love the fact that I went through all that stuff before I got my actual real paid gigs and stuff like that. That whole journey is what builds your character as a DJ as well. When I first started with YouTube, it was purely for promotion. I started a YouTube channel just called DJ TLM, and I used to record myself mixing. So I just have the, the camera on me and the decks, and I would just record like, uh, first you had to do a short mix. YouTube had like a 10 minute limit, so it couldn't be longer. After that, it became a little bit longer. And I was just making mixes, just purely to add to the promotion. I had some mixtapes online because I definitely saw that the online promo was becoming more important. But I felt it was important, especially if you add turntablism to your mixing, that it's important for people to see it because there's a definite visual aspect to turntablism. Even though you're manipulating the music with the turntables, it looks a lot different. And if you never heard or seen turntablism and you're hearing someone do a beat juggle, you might think, what is he doing to that record? So if you see it on video and you actually see someone going back and forth between the two turntables, uh, it makes more sense and it's visually appealing. So I started to do that, did that for I think a couple of years, but then it became a lot more difficult to put your content on YouTube because of copyrights, because of course I was using other people's music to make these mixed videos. And once the labels really got into it with YouTube, they started to flag my videos and either the audio got deleted or in some cases my videos were deleted and I've had videos where they're still up, but they weren't available in certain countries. So it was not an ideal situation and they warned me that they were about to shut down my channel. So it was clear to me that I couldn't continue to do that, but I did want to build a platform for DJs. That idea actually came from having an urban online community here in the Netherlands called ML75 with another DJ called Mani and we were doing pretty good we had like 30,000 uh, subscribed members but I wanted to do something like that for DJs and actually video was just going to be a small part of it so I was going to make a new channel and I was going to do some DJ content on that channel for the platform and I ended up stepping away from the whole community platform idea because I know how much work it is. And I just saw how, especially the big US community sites were taking over and they just ate up all the Dutch sites that we had. Um, because we had some, some big sites over here that were doing pretty good. But once people got Facebook in their lives, they forgot all about all the community sites that we had here. So I stepped away from the idea of doing a platform and I just stuck with the YouTube channel and I felt that there was a real lack of educational videos coming from actual DJs. Now, I don't want to discredit anyone because there were definitely some channels up with tutorials, but with a lot of these tutorials, if I would look up the, the DJ who was making these tutorials, I couldn't find any material. So no mixtapes, no videos of them actually DJing. 
And to me, it was like, if you're going to educate and you're going to showcase some stuff, I think it's even better if it's coming from someone who can like show and prove like he's actually doing it. That's what I prefer. So with that in mind, I wanted to make tutorials. And I was definitely inspired by a DJ from the UK called DJ Angelo, who had some killer tutorials online that were of high quality. And that kind of inspired me to try and make some good tutorials as well. But my first year, I only made one or two videos. That was in 2011. And after that, I didn't really pay it a lot of attention until mid-2013. That's when I told myself, like, okay, okay if I'm going to have this channel, I have to put some more effort into it. So I had like 2,000 subscribers, and I told myself, at the end of this year, I want to have 5,000 subscribers. And on January 1st of 2014, I had 5,000 subscribers. So I made my deadline like really like on the hour. And after that, it was kind of a, 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 a snowball effect. It really picked up momentum. And since 2014, it's 2017 now, now I'm over 100,000 subscribers. And I just found something that was missing where I live, and that's an appreciation for the actual craftsmanship, the art, just sharing that knowledge. And now I'm, I'm connecting with people from all over the globe uh, on a daily basis, people that want to ask me uh, questions, people that tell me how the videos have inspired them. And for me, that's the most, uh, that's the biggest compliment you can receive if someone tells you like, hey, your stuff really helped me out. I started DJ when I saw your videos and I learned everything from the videos and I just did my first club gig. Now, if you see something like that, you start to feel like a proud dad, like, wow, you know? So that feeling is amazing. And I'm really happy that I decided to do that channel in English and not in Dutch because that would have limited my range immensely. Yeah. If you look at hip hop, you can start with nothing and create something. I mean, even if we're sitting right here and we have no equipment, I can bang a beat on the table and someone can start rapping or singing. Especially when it comes to hip hop, they took a lot of equipment that was definitely not even made for it and started to use it for different stuff to create incredible beats or like new techniques with turntables. But especially nowadays, when it's a lot easier to get decent equipment compared to when I started, it should never hold you back. That should never be something that holds you back because you can start out using a webcam on your laptop if you want to. I mean, uh, the quality is not the most important part. It's all about content. And that's something that I've seen when I was looking at other channels because some channels, honestly, the videos look like someone filmed it with a potato. It was like, but I was still watching because they were putting out content and I liked the content. So that told me like, hey, I prefer to have the production quality be as good as it can be, but it shouldn't hold you back if you can't. So my first videos were all shot with like a small point and shoot camera. After that, I got a little more advanced video camera, but it still wasn't anything uh, special. Some of those first videos have maybe even more views than a lot of my later stuff just because of the content. So that should always let you know. And of course, because I do like quality and I want to express quality, I spent and invested to upgrade whenever I could, but with baby steps. So after a while, I got a little bit better camera and I used that for like three years. And now I recently upgraded my camera again. 
So whenever I can, I will. But if I have to use the camera that I have now for the next 10 years to make content, then I can. Or if I lose everything I have right now, then I'll just use the webcam that's on this laptop right here if I have to. Because at the end of the day, like I said, it's all about um, it's all about content. And if the content is good, people will forgive the looks of a video for sure. The most important thing for me that I found out about my channel is to really be you. Now, the reason why I say that is because that is the easiest thing to maintain. I see people putting up a front, putting up an act. And that means that every time you turn the camera on, you have to turn into that person that on-screen person. Now, you could, of course, do that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that, but for me, the fact that I'm me means that whenever I turn that camera on, I can still be me because that's who I am on my channel. That really worked for me. Now, if you're into making educational material, so if you want to start doing tutorials, one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make is assuming that your viewers, your audience already know a lot because most of the time they don't. That's why they're checking out your tutorial videos. But people tend to overlook that and I see a lot of DJs and they start to talk, but they're talking to you as if you're also a DJ who knows what's up. And a lot of times people don't. So I started to approach things when I talk about certain topics, I'm talking to you as if you have no knowledge of it. Now, some people tend to think that I take my time a little bit too much. You don't get to the point. I get that comment every once in a while. But for the most part, I see that people really appreciate that and that I can get the point across a lot better because I'm actually taking the time to explain stuff. Now, if you're only doing it for promotional uh, reasons or you're not there to do educational videos, um, YouTube has become a little bit harder because like I said, I was doing mixes with other people's music. They tend to get flagged or get muted because of the copyright situation. So that's a little bit harder. I think it's more interesting for people to see you. So like you mentioned, the vlog videos, and I'm definitely going to do some more vlog videos, that gives people the chance to get to know the person. And I think in the long run, that's the connection you need to make with people. Because if they know the person, they're probably going to be more inclined to um, check more of your stuff out or support you in comparison to just having some promotional video trying to show that you're the dopest DJ. So that's something that I learned. It's going to be different for everyone, I guess. But that really helped me out being me. And if you're explaining stuff to make sure that you take the time to actually explain it. Okay, I'm about to get into my tear of the week. For my new listeners, my tear of the week is just something that I talk about that balances me out. Could be a movie, could be a restaurant, um, a conversation, anything. So for this episode, uh, episode 45, my tear of the week is frequencies. <laughs> so there are frequencies that you can listen to that are supposed to help shift your energy internally, which can affect you externally. Now, I know that we all know that all sounds are frequencies, right? But there are literally specific tones <laughs> that you can listen to that are supposed to help you with different things like harmonized relationships. Um, there's different ones for like abundance and wealth, even some for health and wellness. Now, if some of y'all are thinking that I'm lying or <laughs> that this is some sort of witchcraft, no, I'm not into any of that. Music producer Teddy Riley actually has spoken about how he uses these tones and frequencies in his music. 
And there's another thing I'll tell y'all that I put in my songs to make people emotional about it. Whether they're happy, sad, or they're just in a different mode. But the music is going to make you come into it. And you know, everybody here have, have, have had a, like a massage. And when you go to the massage parlor, what do they play? They play music to make you calm. Where there, if you go online, there are tones online that will help you stop smoking or be hypnotized or get up and be happy. And that tone is in a lot of my songs. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> I just, uh, but it's, it's real. You can look online and look for tones to make you smile or make you sad. And those tones you put in the song and it gets to the person and it makes them feel emotional. You know, even if it's an up-tempo, I can actually make you feel really, uh, and I used to feel emotional about songs like uh, old songs, um, Let's Make a Baby and um, songs like Smokey Robinson songs will make me emotional. I get sad all of a sudden, even though it's a happy song. And I don't know what it was, but I said, you know, to myself, I said, I want to be able to do that for people. And uh, I can remember uh, a woman telling me that your song, The Lord is Real, made my, my family member change their minds about living. They wanted to live. It's like they wanted to die. And they said when they heard that song, it changed their life and changed their minds. You know, now they're in church and they're doing great and well. And it's like they, they would come and say, what do you do in your songs that make people do that? And um, first of all, it's the subject. It's really the subject. It's really about what we're going through every day. And I like to talk about it. I like to write about it, whether it's lyrics. It doesn't have to be lyrics because my music is going to tell you the story. And... Um, most of my writers who write to my songs automatically get the actual hook. If I don't get it, they actually get the actual hook because it talks to them. And, and that's what I want my music, wanted my music to do was speak to people, whether it had vocals or not. Okay, so let me give you an example of something f that happened for me. So I was listening to a tone, this was a couple weeks ago, I was listening to a tone, uh, it was supposed to, to help harmonize relationships. So a year ago, I uh, had got into it with my neighbor where my studio is. He has a transmission shop right next door to me. So uh, this is a year ago. But up until this blow up, right, we were always nice to each other. We'd always speak all the time, whatever. I would hear him go off um, on several occasions <laughs> with other people. But he never did that to me. But one day, he decided to have some random confrontation with me. But he picked the wrong one. So after that we just each functioned like the other didn't exist now it's fine with me i really didn't care so a year had gone by so now we're in the present time so the day after i listened to this particular frequency that neighbor again after a year of silence eye rolls ignoring each other he starts talking to me like nothing had ever happened and then an actual friendship that i have it was kind of in a, in a weird space um we finally talked about the elephant that had been in the room and uh, and things were emotionally back to normal after I listened to this frequency. 
I'm just saying. <laughs> but I'll put a link to where you can find some of these tones and frequencies in the podcast description. If you have no idea where the podcast description is in your app that you're listening on right now, no worries. That's okay. You can always go to the website, thebalanceroom.com. Look for episode 45, this episode, and the links will be there, as well as all the info for DJ TLM, like his website, YouTube channel, all that good stuff. You can also find DJ TLM on Instagram at, you guessed it, DJ TLM. Do me this favor, you all. If you enjoy this episode, or got at least one piece of something that you can use in your endeavors, hit that share button. I don't want this podcast to be your best kept secret. I'd really appreciate that. The theme song for the Balance Room Music Podcast, titled Thank Me Later, was written and produced by yours truly, performed by Ingrid Wood and the Wood Tribe Orchestra. All of the music in this episode, including what's playing under my voice right now, was produced and performed by DJ TLM from his Saturday sessions he does on his YouTube channel, so make sure you check those out. DJ TLM, I want to thank you so much for accepting my invitation into the balance room it took about a year for us to finally connect but it was well worth the wait until next episode i'm ingrid wood even when i'm gone my voice will still be here i want to make sure yours is as well take care god bless and stay balanced hey this is dj tlm the last mohican and you're live with new the balance room music podcast